Thanks, Kathy, and uh, good evening to you all. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Jeff Leader, and I'm part of the ministry team here with Michael and Stuart. And uh, it's a great privilege to share with you tonight. Before we move on, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for the gift of your word, for what we can learn of you and us through reading your word. Lord, we pray that as um, we consider the text before us tonight, that you would challenge us, teach us, and help us to live a life that's worthy and glorifying of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, and hopefully it's going to come up, yes, life is too precious to waste. Life is too precious to waste. But have you ever wondered how you actually do that? How do you prevent wasting your life? Well, the Bible has a lot of things to say about that. And we look at a few passages tonight. The one I want to start with tonight is from Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. And it says in there, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, notice it says, be careful how you live. That's a little bit of a warning phrase there. And it has the sense of, don't just stumble through life. Don't just drift through life. It is saying, know what you're here for. Know what your purpose is. In other words, be wise and make the most of every opportunity for doing good. And that goes on to say, understand what the Lord's will is. That's a challenging statement, isn't it? Try to understand what God wants you to do. Now, if I asked you, to be honest, I wonder how many of you would say you would really like to know what God wants you to do with your life. I think most of us would like the, would, um, like the answer to that question. We want to know what God's will is for our life. But I also think that a lot of people may be scared to actually know what God's will is as they are frightened that he may ask just a bit too much of us. That's the reality. Well, tonight we're going to look at two important questions of life. What does God want? And secondly, what does it take? So our first question, what does God want from our life? When we read through the Bible, the answer to this question can be summed up in these words. Very simply, God wants our whole, our entire, our complete life. There is not one single verse in the Bible, not one that says that we can be a Christian and live our life any old way we want to. It's just not there. Not there at all. You see, God wants all of us. He doesn't just want 10%. He doesn't even want 50% of us. He doesn't even want 99% of us. He wants 100%. He wants all of us. 
Now, God is very clear about this. There's no mystery about it. Have a look at the next verse, Romans 6.13. It says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. In other words, we are to give ourselves completely and wholly to God since we've been given a new life, since we've been born again. And we are to use our whole body to do what is right for the glory of God. The famous writer C.S. Lewis once said that the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. So, if it's really true, then it deserves everything we've got. If it's not true, what are we here for? It shouldn't be here. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either all or it's nothing. It's either true and that should determine the rest of our life and how we live the rest of our life or we should just chuck it all in and do whatever we want to do. Unfortunately, a lot of people just try to sit on the fence. They say to themselves, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't really know which way to jump. What does God want me to do? But then the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 to 13, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God, here it goes, here it is, with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you for your own good. It says with all your heart and with all your soul, in other words, with your whole being. It's a very important word in the Bible. It's only three letters. It's the word all. The Bible would be a lot less if it didn't have that word all in it. And it says we need to serve and love our God with all our heart and with all our soul, all our being. Now, a lot of people try to sit on the fence. They say, mm, okay, got that. Can I serve God in my spare time? It's like having this pie, and I'm not so good with the illustrations on the screen as Stuart is, so you bear with me. But you know the, the pie chart things, how it's all divided up in the different sections? Well, it's, it's people trying to think it's like a pie. And you've got your social life here, and you have a career here, you've got your sex life here, and you've got your family life over here, and perhaps you've got your retirement life in this other section. And yeah, there's this little bit over here for your spiritual life. But for the Christian believer, that is seriously wrong thinking. You see, God's the whole pie. God is the whole pie. And he wants the whole pie to be under his control. He doesn't want, us, he doesn't want to be pigeonholed and have us say, you know, God... <laughs> I'll give you 10%. I'll turn up at church on Sundays, you know, for a couple of hours on a Sunday. doesn't work that way. God wants our whole life, 100%, total. He wants our whole being. 
There's a myth out there that says that we can do it all, that we can have it all. We dream about having it all. We can do what we want and still be God's person. But seriously, friends, we can't. We have to give it all to God. Look at Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The important, the key word here is cannot. Jesus doesn't say you should not serve God or money. He says you cannot serve God and money. It's impossible to have two number one priorities in your life. You're always going to have a number one somewhere in your life. And everything else is going to be a two, a three, a four, or a fifth priority. You can't have two number one priorities in your life. And God says, God, he says he's not satisfied unless he is number one. Now the reality is that there are a lot of things besides money that can push God out of first place in our lives. You see, our work can push God out of first place. Sports and hobbies can push God out of first place. Friends can push God out of first place. Schoolwork or uni work, study can push God out of first place. Dating can push God out of first place. And even our own family can push God out of first place in our life. But God is saying we cannot serve him and something else at the same time. Because he wants it all. He wants to be totally in charge of our life. And so really the question here is, what is going to be first place in your life? Is what's going to be number one, the number one goal in your life, building your career? It's the number one goal in your life, raising your family. Is the number one goal in your life going to be like saving for retirement or enjoying your retirement? Is the number one goal of your life going to be maintaining your good health? Trouble is, you see, all those things are actually good. In fact, God created them. And God approves of every one of those things except when they are in first place. God says, you will have no other gods before me and whatever is in first place in your life, that's number one and that's not God. You know what that's called? When there's something else is in number, occupying first place in your life? That thing is called an idol. It's called an idol. But God says, I want to be number one before everything else. And you know what? When you put God as number one in your life, you will find that all those other things start to fall into their proper place. It'll be the right perspective, the right priority. You know, there was a time when Jesus was walking down the streets of Jerusalem and a man walked up to Jesus, oh sorry, and Jesus said to this man, follow me. And the guy said, yeah, okay, tops, I will follow you. 
But um, Lord, there's, there's just some of the things, there's a few things I've got to take care of before I can do that. First, let me go and take care of those things. Now, you know that little phrase there, Lord, let me first? That is a serious contradiction because you can't say Lord and me first. If you're saying me first, he's not your Lord. He's not in charge. He's not number one. So you have to decide who, oh, sorry, who's going to be the Lord in your life. Is it you or is it God? Is it going to be God first or me first? And if I can ask a very personal question, where in your life are you saying to God, me first? Where are you saying, God, I'll live for you. I'll live for you, but let me first find somebody to marry God. I'll live, you, I'll live for you, God, first. I'll put you in first place, but eh, let me first finish my education. God, I really want to serve you, but let me first get the kids out of the house. God, I'm really going to be on fire for you, but I'm, I'm going to do it all. But let me first achieve financial independence and security. Let me first pay off my mortgage. Let me first build my career or build my business. Let me first finance my kids' education. And God says, if I'm not first, none of this is going to be in the right perspective. And you know, one of the greatest challenges we have in our everyday lives as a church, one of the greatest challenges we face today as a church, you know what they are? It's children's birthday parties and sporting act- and kids' sporting activities or playing sport and kids and adults on a Sunday. They're the things that pull people away from coming to church, spending time with God. They're a greater priority than gathering as God's people. Jesus told a story to illustrate this point. He said it's like a man, and some version says it's a king. Makes the point. But this man plans a big banquet. And he goes out and invites everybody to come to this magnificent banquet. It's a great honour to be invited. It is going to be so good. But the people the king invited started to make excuses. It's in Luke 14. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. Hey, and I need to go and try them out. And another one said, hey, I'm just, sorry, I just got married. And in those days, in ancient um, Hebrew times, if you got married, you're excused from military service for a whole 12 months. So this guy said, I've just got married. I've got, I've got things to attend to. I can't come. Now, just think about this. These three guys are invited to a banquet by the king. And they all turn him down. The first guy uses his wealth as an excuse. Real estate. I just bought some land. <laughs> I just need to go and look at it. I need to check it out now. And the second guy, he uses his, well, two, two ways you can look at this. He used his work as an excuse. I've just got too much work to do. I've got to go and get my oxen and plough my fields. We well, can look at another way. Hey, he's just bought a really cool bunch of oxen here and he's got to go and try them out. It's like saying, I just bought a new car and I really have to take it for a run. 
And then the third guy used his wife as an excuse. Just got married. Well, he's got more important things to think about. So here's my question to you. What excuse do you keep giving to God for you putting yourself first? What excuse do you keep giving God who's invited you to the banquet for putting yourself first? Lord, first let me do this. Then I'll be just sold out to you. Lord, let me first do this and then I'll be all yours. Let me... Let me let you in on a little secret here. If you would put God first in your life, he will take care of everything else. He'll put all those priorities in your life, those other things in your life in the right place. The Bible promises in Proverbs 3, 6, that in all, our way, all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. In the, in the Living Bible paraphrase, it's probably a little more helpfully. It says, in everything you do, that's everything, in everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be a success. You want to be a success? Well, the Bible tells us right there, in everything you do, put God first. In everything you do, put God first and he will crown your efforts with success. And I just wonder whether you've been trying to live a part-time Christian life. See, the first question of life is what does God want? He wants all of us. And any time we sit on the fence, we lose. So if God wants all of us, then what will it mean for us? What will it take to give him everything? What does it take not to waste our life? What does it take to become all that God wants us to be? What does it take for us to achieve our fullest potential? What does it take? Well, I'm going to say it in one word, and it's not a word we actually like. It's the word discipline. Proverbs 10.17 says, Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. You know, you cannot be a disciple without discipline. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without discipline. Now, what in the world is discipline? Well, in two words, it is delayed gratification. That's all it is, delayed gratification. Discipline is doing the difficult now in order to enjoy the benefits later. Now, some of you are incredibly disciplined. Some of you are disciplined in your work, your career, your job. You plan your day, you're always on time, you're conscientious in your work habits. Some of you are very disciplined in your work exercise. You're diligent. You go for those 10,000 steps a day or whatever exercise you're doing. You're very disciplined in doing that. It's in your routine. It's in your schedule. Some of you never miss a favourite TV show. It's one of those disciplines. And we're all disciplined in some areas. And the reality is we are disciplined in the areas we want to be disciplined. The things that are important to us 
we actually get done, don't we? And I wonder if, if we're as disciplined in having a daily quiet time, spending time in prayer, reading God's word, as we are in never missing a meal. What if we were as disciplined in serving others as we are in getting up and going to work every day? Or school or uni, whatever you do. What if we were as disciplined in attending church as we are in watching that favourite TV show that we just never miss? It's always intriguing to me that uh, after many years in ministry that people struggle to get to church on time, particularly in the mornings for a 10 o'clock service. And I know full well that they'll get up at 6 or 7 a.m. every morning of the week to go to work, to be at work at 9 a.m., to get the kids to school by the time the kids start these days. 9 o'clock, plus or minus a little bit. And yet 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning is a real struggle. It's a discipline. Now there's another word for discipline, and this one probably sits a little bit better. It's the word habits. And habits are what you do over and over without even thinking about it. If it's a habit, it's a part of your life and your whole life is designed, shaped, controlled and developed by habits. And if you want to change your life, what you have to do is change your habits. In 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 7, it says, Train yourself to be godly. In other words, spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. There are exercises we can do that will keep us spiritually fit, just like there are exercises we can do that will keep us physically or mentally fit. As, as we develop, we need to keep physically fit. We need to exercise our brains to keep mentally fit. But we also need to keep our spirits exercised. And I just want to mention briefly two. One is the discipline of letting go. Letting go. And that means let, you let go of things that you can't keep do, because you just... Sorry. You need to let some things go because you just can't simply keep adding more and more and more to your life. You need to let some things go. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There are two things there that hold us back. Two things that keep us from being all that God wants us to be. First is sin, the breaking of God's commandments, and the, the other thing is things, things that are not necessarily wrong or even necessary, but things that hold us back from reaching our potential in life. This could be a relationship, an expectation, an activity, a club, a memory, a fear, a job. And the Bible says to grow we must learn to say no. We can't say yes to everything. We have to say no sometimes because we cannot have it all and we cannot do it all. One of the reasons we have a hard time letting go of activities is, is we tie our identity to them. You know, one of the first things we do when we get introduced to a person and say, oh, great, where do you work? And we... Tell them what we do or where we work. It's part of our identity. It's who we are. But if we're serious about fulfilling our purpose in life, we have to make space for God to be the definer of our life. And if we're going to make space for God in our life, 
We're going to have to cut some stuff out. And perhaps some of it is good stuff, not necessarily sin. You see, there's always a cost of putting God first in our schedule. But the rewards are worth it. And the other discipline, the second discipline I want to consider is the discipline of of putting first things first. And a good example is the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Remember, Jesus came to their home. But Martha, it says, was distracted by her many tasks. And Mary just sat there at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. But Martha was busy getting food and all sorts of stuff ready in the house. And she complained to Jesus that she needed Mary to help her. But Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? But what's he talking about? Jesus says, if it comes down to spending time with me or washing the dishes, hey, there's no question about it. When it comes down to getting the house ready, fixing the meal, or spending time with the Lord... Because he is here, Jesus says, there's no doubt about what should happen. Do you find yourself like Martha? Do tasks on your to-do list distract you from focusing on God? Is your life so busy you don't have time to stop, even for a short time, to focus on God? In the light of eternity, there is no question what's more important. It's our time with God. Building our relationship with the Lord of the universe. Because everything else, you know, is going to vanish one day. And what's going to matter is our relationship with God. And if we haven't made time for God in the day, that day has missed its purpose. You see, the best use of our life is to invest it in that which will outlast it. And our relationship with God matters above all. Philippians 2.13 is a helpful verse here. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Willing and able. He gives us the desire And then he gives us the willpower. Not by might, not by power, but by by my spirit, says the Lord. What am I saying? If you get serious, you make the choice to say, God, there are some things I'll cut out of my life in order to make time to develop some new habits so that I might grow closer to you, Lord. So that you might have all of me, not just part of me, but all of me. You know, if you just make the choice to let some stuff go, to put some stuff on hold and to put God first, to put God number one, then God will help you. We have the Holy Spirit within us to give us the strength, the willpower. He wants us to draw closer to Jesus. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to take over, you know, some amazing things happen in your life. God just won't leave you dangling. 
He won't set you adrift. He wants you close to him, fulfilling the purpose he has you on this worth for. So in summary, what does God want? He wants all of us, every single part of us. That's what he wants. And what's it going to take to grow? It's going to take discipline. You can't be a disciple without discipline. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and yes, I'm using the message, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvellous life God has given us. We beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvellous life that God has given us. We only have one life. And only what's done for Jesus in this life will count for eternity. Nothing else will last. Nothing else is going to matter. Remember the verse we started with, Ephesians 5.15? Make the most of every opportunity you get. God has given us this wonderful opportunity. And so I encourage you, don't let it pass by. Don't waste your life. Make the most of it. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and acknowledge you as our Lord. Lord, forgive us when we don't put you as number one in our life. Lord, we know you want us, all of us, and Father, we endeavour to do that. Take our heart's desire, Lord, and we pray that as we give you all, as we glorify you as our Lord, that you would use us, empower us to fulfill your purposes here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.